welcome, or velkommen, as we would say in Norwegian, to The Nordics Unveiled. I am Ernest Elbjørg-Hemsing, and I hope you will join my exploration of Nordic. From mythology and folk traditions to lyrical, melancholic, and often cautiously optimistic are only a few characters of Nordic. In a series of episodes, I will be joined by inspiring guests trying to break a few stereotypes and answer the question of what is typically Nordic? To learn more about conversations and guests, subscribe to The Nordics Unveiled on your favorite podcast provider or follow me on my Instagram, Facebook or Twitter account. This is The Nordics Unveiled. I am very excited to introduce my guest today, the Norwegian choreographer, dancer and entrepreneur Halgrim Hansegård. Known for his innovative and playful projects where he's continuously breaking physical, psychological and cultural barriers. Halgrim has truly made a name with bringing traditional folk dance howling to the global audiences through TV productions and even computer games. His projects had been performed in more than 30 countries around the world, interestingly even censored by the Catholic Church in Italy. Nevertheless, currently exciting over 100 million viewers on his YouTube channel. Halgrim founded his dance company Frikar in 2006, artistically leading a space for Norwegian traditional folk dance and other subcultures within dance can experiment, develop, and most importantly, preserve by sharing the tradition to future generations. First of all, I just have to say I'm so happy that you wanted to join me today, Halgrim. I am really, really looking forward to hear what you have to share with us on the topic of dance and the heritage of dance. And... I should also probably say before we start that I should share with the listeners that you are actually, in fact, my brother-in-law. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, that's my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that you are very interested in and have done a lot of research um, on Scandinavian dance history through centuries. Maybe we could start with the very beginning. What is the earliest kind of movement you have found? Yeah, actually, during Corona times, uh, I got some uh, some extra time, which I don't uh, have normally, uh, to to go uh, deeper into uh, old sources. And uh, mm-hmm. um, actually, in around Alta in the north of Norway, there are a lot of um, petroglyphs, which are from five thousand six hundred to six thousand two hundred years uh, old. Wow, and uh, yeah. s- several of them have actually dancing as a theme. Oh, really? So in those old, um, what is it, um, sign language, there was already signs of uh, of movement. Yeah, and it's it's uh, you you can uh, try to kind of analyze um, why did they do uh, the dancing, which makes it really interesting for me. And uh, yeah. you can see <laughs> in their postures, for example. Uh, if they are actually bouncing um, and uh, you can see that they are playing uh, drums, uh, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the dancers are on boats and the boats might be like uh, symbols for a transition, a transition to death or, uh, or to something oh, yeah. else. Yeah. And, um, and there is uh, one dancer which is uh, kind of divided into many frames, almost like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. And he becomes a bear uh, during the dance. Oh, really? <laughs> so what do you take from that? Do you find it uh, inspirational for what you can do? 
You know, I I, um, I grew up with the folk dancing, which is a tradition that we uh, normally like uh, track down to like 1600s. Um, and I have not known so much. Uh, it's not written much uh, from the period before uh, in the dance of Norway. So um, I've been curious about why have we been dancing and have there been an equality which has kind of been um, in main focus during all those uh, uh, centuries and uh, and uh, thousands of years and um, <laughs> and uh, it looks like this kind of um, ecstatic uh, movement uh, how to free yourself uh, how to go use body movement to achieve uh, spiritual experiences uh, have been uh, really important from uh, like 6,000 years back and at least to the 1900s, the beginning of the 1900s. <laughs> it's it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this because I know the term free yourself is very much part of your identity um, as a dancer and as a choreographer. Um, we will maybe go first a little bit into background of uh, folk dances, if you don't mind. Maybe you could explain to us a little bit about the, um, the different folk dances and what are the differences between them. For instance, what is a holding. Mm, yeah. Uh, in I would say in the Nordic countries, we we um, we share kind of a common heritage of couple dances, like social couple dances um, with a lot of whirling together in couple. Mm. Um, always dancing in circle around the floor. Um, but the hulling is quite particular. It's kind of the flamenco of uh, of uh, the Nordic countries, <laughs> where you it's express. Nice. Um, you don't need to behave be behave so much. You can express uh, straight from your guts uh, what you want. Uh, you can be explosive. You can be dangerous, or you can be happy. <laughs> uh, and you dance uh, without physical contact with uh, others, and. Um, so you are really f free. We we call it laustans, which means uh, free dance uh, mm -hmm. and not coupled dancing. Mm. Right. And historically, this was more for men than for females or has it changed a bit? Yeah, I kind of tend to disagree. A lot of a lot of dancers <laughs> uh, claim that this is a dance for a male, but uh, but um, we have quite many written sources from the 1700s already with uh, good, um, uh, like high quality female uh, hulling dancers. <laughs> so, uh, so I think it's more about uh, the human race has to have some arenas for uh, expressing also the darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, hulling has been kind of one of the most important arenas for the Nordic, for the Norwegian people, uh, like really back in the days. Hmm. It's interesting that you say uh, expressing darkness. What do you mean by that in com a combination with hulling? Is it because it's so free? Yeah, you can you you can say that from from the 1600s to the 1800s, um, when you search for written sources uh, about the dance in districts in the mountain valleys of Norway, where uh, written uh, sources are uh, a bit rare. Mm -hmm. uh, the best written sources, I would say, are the um, protocols from, um, from the judges, um, where somebody has been killed and uh, um, several episodes have been uh, 
uh, murders in dance, uh, which kind of is an outer extreme of this tradition. <laughs> um, but up in the mountain valleys, um, you know, without all the ship uh, ships um, passing by from Germany and going to north of Norway, um, we are not we have maybe not been so trained in talking and solving issues uh, with the words. <laughs> so I think right. uh, the dance has been even more important up in the mountain valleys to, yeah. uh, to uh, kind of um, get rid of uh, your uh, bad feelings. <laughs> it's almost like when you have duels between people, who is the winning force out of them? Yeah, actually, uh, th th there was quite a competitive uh, tradition um, uh, from the 1700s. We know uh, they used to meet um, up in the mountains uh, from different valleys uh, to share uh, music. That They were playing fiddle, they were mm -hmm. um, dancing and they were fighting. Yeah. And uh, a real uh, frikar was uh, a guy which um, managed to win in all disciplines uh, in a way. <laughs> Is that why you have the name Frikar for your company? Yeah, it's kind of an inspiration, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's nice. Um, if we just can go back to uh, the, the Hulling dance just for one, uh, one more second. Um, we talked about a little bit just expressing um, also a bit of darkness, but I, I, when you watch Hulling, it's quite a light step people dance with. It's very acrobatic. It's very energetic. Do you think mm. those that it both contains the darkness and the lightness? Yeah, absolutely. You could almost um, zoom into the step uh, of the human race, and and um, and um, since we ha we have uh, been uh, walking on two legs, um, we I think it has become almost like a, fin a fingerprint that you can. Uh, Probably a lot of people can recognize friends uh, from behind in a dark street uh, from a long distance, just on uh, on the bounce in how they walk. And um, <laughs> and uh, in the folk dancing in Norway, you, you kind of develop a culture of movement through uh, many years, uh, where um, maybe with we. Um, get an, another way of uh, stepping uh, than in other dance mm -hmm. traditions. So so we we might start to roll from the heel uh, before the count of the beat. And then we roll mm -hmm. through the beat and uh, the way how, how you kick yourself up again uh, from the toes is uh, maybe e e sometimes even more important than the, than the roll down. Like uh, many people would maybe say that um, how you hit the uh, the beat uh, when you are down is the most important. And mm -hmm. maybe then even go over, land on the flat foot to, to be even more precise uh, in a way. But um, the walking in Holling is almost a, bit, a little bit like cycling that... Uh, once you have stepped up, you're already stepping down on the other leg. Uh, and we kind of enjoy this air time also uh, in the steps, which is mm -hmm. kind of a it's, positive. Yeah. Uh, it needs maybe a positive music because, uh, of course, <laughs> there are big 
individual differences in how we walk, uh, or mm-hmm. also in the folk dancing. But um, there are also re- regional uh, differences in the music. Uh, so um, in the eastern part of Norway, uh, they tend to have more like two force uh, hollings, which is heavy, like dam tari, dam tari, dam tari, taia. <laughs> While in Valdres and uh, towards the west coast, uh, we tend to use more like six eights, which is more like a rolling rhythm, like. Nice. <laughs> yes. There's a big difference. You can really feel already just from your singing how you would move to it. Yeah, you yeah. think so? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's... um, But it's really fun to learn a little bit more about uh, all the differences there are because it, what is quite fascinating is that there can be such a big geographical difference. Um. I've been speaking a little bit about in a, in a previous podcast episode about um, the difference in in um, rhythm changes in, the, for instance, uh, springer. Um, maybe you could talk to us also a little bit about the dancing you find in the springer. Yeah, in the springer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, it is a little bit uh, interesting and strange um, that uh, we have so big uh, regional differences, mm. like. Um, uh, m- even in the mood uh, of the music and dance, I think in in Sete Star, they are uh, in the south southern part of Norway. They are um, known for having this kind of dark mood, a heaviness in the dance. Um, uh, and actually, when you go there, the the valley is really closed with um, with the steep uh, mountainsides. <laughs> And uh, in Valdres, um, I guess most of the hollings are pretty happy and uh, and light compared to it. And also, our springer is the most leaning forward springer, I guess, which um, which is really good for trance dancing. Like um, you can dance with the same partner for several hours if you are happy with your partner <laughs> and uh, with the musician, right. and uh, you almost kind of lose the sense of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, not like uh, given in a social dance because uh, often in social dance it's uh, a lot about the form uh, um, uh, a lot about the socializing uh, process but uh, in Springer it's almost more like a trance dance I feel in, in Valdres yeah exactly also about the rhythm mm-hmm. how the rhythm kind of chases you forward or uh, pulls you down I think I think the springer has uh, played a really important role in the physicality of of the people here uh, uh, traditionally because because uh, uh, we used to have uh, like really really long parties uh, a wedding could be like seven uh, days <laughs> right. and and the um, fiddler was supposed to 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 play um, most of the hours actually um, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe. The young people uh, slept during the day, but but the adults they danced during the day, um, which um, n- then you need a kind of dancing which you uh, can um, uh, you can manage to to dance it for many hours in a, in a row, and uh, you have to develop kind of a step which uh, you can hold your body. And uh, and uh, maybe give you more a good feeling than uh, that you feel how tiring it is. Mm. 
So this kind of traditional long parties, I think have been really important. Uh, and the, the, to find the right dance is also important to be able to have those uh, long uh, parties. <laughs> and, right. uh, I've also heard that that was one of the reasons why they had so many different uh, ways of tuning the fiddle, because you need this variation during the day and night. Uh, so you don't hear the same melodies all uh, all day around. <laughs> right. It's... um. It's really fun to hear about all the different tunings you have. I mean, the names are so particular, like uh, Grålising or uh, Liseblott or, you know, all of these. It's so beautiful to hear how you can um, make the sound and, and the character right for mm. the for what you want to play. But mm. um, going a little bit back to dance, what it's kind of striking in many ways is that, you know, it, it's the dancing is for everyone. It's not, you don't need to necessarily... You know, it's not a big separation between those who are the best or those who are the worst. It's really, it's very democratic, wouldn't you say? It's a really interesting point you have there, Elbjörg, because uh, uh, last weekend I invited uh, like a, a master in Viking uh, wrestling uh, to my company and uh, let him teach the dancers uh, this uh, wrestling. Uh, like most of the martial arts around in the world have really wide stands like Kung Fu uh, and um, and so on. Uh, like the way of uh, standing on your legs, mm -hmm. which uh, we um, kind of Nordic people tends to be not able to have that loose hips. Um, and I was wondering why is there no connection between Viking fighting and, and, and our dance tradition, which is as old. Hmm. And then uh, I actually understood uh, during this exchange that uh, this flat hierarchy is really important in both the folk dancing and in the Viking wrestling. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we both have a kind of um, narrow stance in our dance and wrestling. So th mm. there are maybe much more like connection than uh, we thought uh, before this exchange. And um, for example, in uh, martial arts, you normally get grades. You can get a black belt in karate, for example. <laughs> but in uh, Viking wrestling, uh, you don't get anything. Uh, you, you, you just uh, have to, to fight with uh, whoever. <laughs> and uh, and uh, also in folk dancing, you might win nationals uh, and so on, but but you don't get the title, and uh, you just um, you are uh, expected to to ask also new beginners to dance together and uh, to to share the dance space and share the music with uh, whoever wants to dance, and at all ages. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder when we talk about, um, I mean, we can talk about the evolution of folk dance over the years and how it has changed or hasn't changed. Uh, I mean, I, we know from folk music that so much of the tradition is passed on from generation to generation. Um, you listen, you learn and repeat. And that's very, not that many variations um, change during generations. Is it the same for dance as well? I think uh, dance researchers and historians, they are um, uh, discussing a little bit these uh, matters because uh, um, they tend to like to write a history uh, where uh, you things changed in the beginning of the 1900s from 
you learning just by copying, seeing and copying uh, from others. Uh, and you, um, they started with uh, co- courses like dance classes, mm-hmm. um, which changed the way uh, you show the same thing to everyone and you repeat uh, and uh, you kind of simplify the technique so everyone can understand it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I must say that uh, for, for my case, I grew up uh, summertime. I was uh, at the Stöl, uh, up in the co- a cottage up in the mountains. And uh, one of the neighbors, he, were, he was an old man, but a really good dancer. And uh, I became more and more curious as I grew up and uh, learned a lot of dancing just by uh, going and drinking coffee with him and, and <laughs> uh, having fun and, and so on. So... This way of uh, learning is uh, still uh, is still there, actually. Oh yes, and there are so vital sources. Uh, I mean, it's also a certain knowledge that might not be passed on. That's why it is so important to listen to them and actually get it in properly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's it's kind of uh, maybe we 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 don't learn it in school uh, that uh, old people might have important knowledge that you should try to get out of them, even though they maybe don't offer it. So uh, I guess a lot of us uh, grew up and we never explore what we could learn from elders. Yeah, but that's um, that's one thing I know very much about you, Hagrim, is that you are very, very curious. You like to ask questions, you like to explore and find um, new solutions to to, um, well, maybe not to problems, but new solutions to different situations. Um, I had quite a few guests on my podcast who have been talking about the influence of nature into their artistic work, whether it's music or the art, um, and what an incredible force that is. And it should be mentioned, I believe, that um, you as a very, very active uh, athlete, you have been, I think, on almost every single top there is in Jotunheimen <laughs> during your childhood, <laughs> up and down, all everywhere, both on snowboard and skis and I don't know what. But uh, um, how would you say that uh, Jotunheimen has shaped you? I think for, uh, for for my part, I early experienced, maybe in the age of 13, uh, that there are like really, really big forces around us uh, and we don't need to necessarily call them gods. But uh, but um, but I started to really believe and feel that um, uh, it's not just impressive nature, it's, it's something more. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I grew up, it... For me, if things were art or not art was not important. If if I found a uh, a tree, a fallen tree, which was fun to balance on, I could dance there for a long time mm-hmm. and just experience the bounce of the tree, uh, which movement possibilities it had. And uh, I didn't think about if it was dance or not. But uh, today... Um, I still have a good balance because of this kind of uh, mm-hmm. way of growing up. Right. And uh, this gifts from the nature, uh, <laughs> in a way. Oh, absolutely. And when we talk about Jotunheimen, it's um, hard not to also ma- make a little stop at uh, into Nordic mythology. And I know this is also of particular interest for you, Hagrim. Um, yeah. 
to look a little bit into that. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the myth there there is connected to Jotunheimen. Yeah, in the uh, Norse mythology, you you kind of tend to divide uh, the world into nine or nine levels or nine worlds, and Jotunheimen is one of them, which is kind of the base of the trolls or the. I would not say the evil forces because uh, probably when um, when we got our alphabet, which we are using today, and and and. Um, uh, in the 11, 12, uh, 1300s, when they started to write down these histories, it was um, done by Christians, uh, which tended to divide things more in the axis of uh, evil and uh, good. Mm -hmm. um, so the trolls and the Jotna or the Jotna uh, are often interpreted as uh, evil, but they were maybe like dark forces or uh, wild intuitive uh, uh, forces actually and uh, you have this kind of balance theory that the gods needs that Jotna uh, and the other way that uh, yeah I think um, <laughs> it, it is kind of the um, longest living polytheistic traditions in Europe mm -hmm. so uh, today we might experience um, young audiences which are really fond of Viking music or Viking this and that uh, and they look to uh, to Scandinavia because um, we had polytheistic tradition maybe 800 years longer than uh, most of Europe. That's very interesting. It's really, it shows maybe something about the, um, I mean, the whole Viking period is such a huge topic to dive into and it's really uh, for for good and bad, we might say, but the inheritance from it is really enormous. Mm. But I want to get back to the the what do you say the creatures of the underworld, the the darkness that is being talked about. Do you think that also has an expression in dance? Yeah, it depends on how how to understand the question, because because uh, uh, to be grounded and to to really feel the earth is of course really really important in dance and. And maybe even more important in traditional uh, folk dancing uh, as well. And um, and uh, the dance is a really good arena to to meet your inner nature, which might be intuitive. Uh, it doesn't need to be filtered by behavior. So uh, I think it's a good place to meet the underground people in yourself at least <laughs> that's a good answer it is a very abstract question but it is also when linked to for instance music or for uh, particularly painting it's very easy to see that kind of um, wildness and darkness and you know with the monsters or with the, the the big waves and nature and what a force it was and um I, f I find dance such a it's such a expressive way of of uh, getting your emotions out, and it's just interesting to hear your thoughts on how much you think nature affects um, your in as an inspiration to dance. Yeah, it's uh, from for me it's um, much easier to be to feel creative and to to get inspired to create outdoor like in in the nature than in a black box. Uh, I, I feel it's um, 
it's a bit strange that the black box and the theater, the dark rooms, have be become so uh, significant in our um, culture. Um, you can say the church is um, uh, losing audience, and and uh, the theaters uh, have maybe taken over a little bit for those um, which are seeking spiritual experiences. Um, and it, and the dark, like the black box, are very efficient to separate ourselves from the nature. Um, but the nature itself has already so much uh, spiritualism, and and uh, um, I think for everyone or for most of us, it's so um, easy to get creative and uh, and so on when we walk in the forest. You. You imagine uh, this tree may, might be a creature and, uh, and so on. And uh, you almost have a lot of dancing partners around you. <laughs> so um, like during the summertime, I, uh, I do a big production in a canyon nearby here, uh, which is uh, totally um, created uh, to fit nature there instead of having a kind of a traditional story to express. Oh, exactly. And walking through the forest to take part in your uh, in your performance, it's it's the most incredible thing. You really feel so connected to nature because there's so many elements that really enhance both the visual, the emotional, the nature. It's really, really fantastic. And uh, before we change topic, but I wanted to ask you, do you think there is such a thing as a Nordic style within dance? It's a good question. I think a lot of dance producers in, in Norway and in Europe have uh, asked the same question. Because, um, I've heard from, uh, f uh, from European dance producers that... What is it with Norway? Is there anything uh, special? Um, the quality have maybe not been the best like uh, 10 years ago and so, but but a lot have happened and, and uh, Norwegian dance is exported in a much uh, more um, uh, degree now. Um, but I think the institutions which are like um, schooling dancers and so on in, in Norway have no ambition of creating a uh, Norwegian influence on the dancers, mm. um, which, um, yeah, they prioritize uh, to have dancers on the international level in a way. Mm. Uh, but why not doing both, like uh, working on the quality, but also um, or originality or like local uh, specialities? So, um, Nowadays, I, I like to try to extract qualities uh, from um, from uh, the folk dancing. It could be the, the way of bouncing, the way of exploding, um, um, the way of throwing your body and so on, um, and teach it to contemporary dancers and they give feedback and so on. That's the way we kind of develop a new style, which uh, which you can clearly see it is something different from uh, the dance classes that you can uh, attend in Berlin or, or in London. That's for sure. And I think uh, you in particular really have created such a specific type of dance, um, which is so fascinating to watch. Um, it's a bottom mix of 
yeah, of course, we cannot get past the, the folk uh, dance element, but also with the contemporary and definitely the acrobatic. I think that's also acrobatic is something that at least I connect to a lot to the Nordic because of our history. And also yeah. not having such defined kind of polished movement all the time, which maybe was a bit more, if you look, of course, back in history, more in the European sense. I think um, uh, in um, maybe in Europe, uh, stories, big emotions and so on have been really important in the ballet. You, 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 you search for uh, big pictures and you try to hold that picture so it's easy to read mm. for the audience. In in in, um, in Norway uh, or in the um, Norwegian Swedish peninsula, um, I like to compare our aesthetics a little bit with uh, with the Chinese actually. That uh, that um, it, like in kung fu, you don't just hit something; you you try to hit and then pull back like mm. a circular movement. And when we kick a hats uh, in in the air, it's not about kicking the hat; it's to kick through the hat and get back again. Um, if you see the the portals, the door portals of uh, Norwegian stave churches, uh, they have this amazing dragon style uh, um, aesthetics, which I think is very inspiring uh, when you are creating dance. And um, and so on. You can you can look to different sources of aesthetics in the Norse mythology and later, and and um, see if they can fit into your dance style. And uh, <laughs> that has been a way for me. We spoke a bit about, uh, and it's very fun that you mentioned China. Because particularly the symbol of the dragon is something that keeps coming up <laughs> in many ways. But do you think that in the dance movements, um, there must have been a lot of influences? Do you think some of the influences could have come from the Far East? Um, I know there is found a Buddha sculpture from the Bronze Era uh, in Sweden. But um, maybe we don't have very many archaeological uh, foundings uh, um, to kind of document uh, this uh, question. Um, but, you know, there have... Yeah, if you look to the Vikings, for example, uh, uh, Norwegian Vikings, they uh, went um, a lot to Russia. They went down to Istanbul and uh, many of them actually worked uh, in the army of uh, Konstantin and... and uh, um, rulers in uh, Istanbul, and uh, they even went to the Silk Road and so on. So, so that there, uh, there have been cultural exchange is um, something that we know. If you look at the uh, ethics, like in in uh, India, in China, and so on, the Golden Middle Way is uh, uh, is an expression that uh, you don't need to brag so much about all your resources. Uh, just uh, uh, spend what you need to spend mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, and so on which today is I think uh, an important point in the climate uh, change and so on and if you see if you look to Hovamor the oldest uh, ethical poem of um, uh, Scandinavia it's very much about uh, the same values that uh, you should not brag with all your 
reach them even if you have reached them and you should be very um, uh, non-hierarchical uh, if anybody knocks your door you should let them in and, <laughs> and so on so I think those um, ethics reminds of Chinese ethics and and uh, or Chinese traditional ethics and um, also like philosophers like Sigmund Kvalei Sætring and Arne Ness and so on looked a lot to Himalaya for example when they were kind of mixing maybe the Norwegian traditional uh, ethics with uh, Himalayan uh, philosophy uh, as a platform for the new ecological, uh, deep ecological movement. Yeah, exactly. Where nature was the big focus, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, it's it's so much to dive in. It's really it's really fun. Um, mm. And I was wondering, if I may ask you, because I know you are also an excellent uh, uh, Jew harpist. <laughs> I mean, we say <laughs> no. Jew harpist or um, uh, or Joel harp, we can probably also say. But if you would like, if you could just give us a few examples of the difference between, for instance, a springer and let's say a hulling and maybe even a ganger, that would be really interesting. Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll try. Uh, for me, um, the Joel harp is... Um, a really nice instrument to just carry around in your pocket when you walk in the mountains and so on. <laughs> and uh, for me, it's kind of a pleasure and um, uh, more than an artistic expression in a way. <laughs> yes. But um, it's also about br- the breathing, you know, mm-hmm. and um, uh, which is so important also in dancing. <laughs> so, um, but I could uh, I could start with the legged the column. It's a it's a, um, a little bit lightweight hulling uh, <laughs> in six eighths. That should uh, make you want to kind of uh, roll in your steps. Excellent. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> I feel like I want to dance now. That was really ah, a very good example. That's great. <laughs> but you know, uh, if you really want to get to know the Norwegian music, uh, there's one tune that you kind of have to learn. And uh, it's 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 a bit funny because Springer is kind of maybe the music which is uh, most distant from pop music. But if you look, look to the living Norwegian song tradition, some of the most renowned uh, tunes are actually springers. Um, uh, it's like "Hurra for dig som springer ditt or like um, <laughs> these kind of songs. You have "Kjæringa um, med staven" and um, "Per Spelman" and so on. Oh yes, that's true. "Kjæringa med staven." (laughs) 
excellent. That's the chatting of stuff. And that's, uh, I mean, we grew up with all of this. It's so uh, part of our childhood memories, wouldn't you say, Halgrim? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like for everyone. Yeah. Mm. So <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for playing, first of all, but also for uh, uh, sharing your thoughts with us. It's really been so interesting and so inspiring to hearing you talk about this. And um, yeah, thank you. I really. I should have asked you about about much more, but uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're you my get guest. Some time with your microphone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank you so much, Algrim. It's been such a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for the Nordics Unveiled. My name is Elvig Hemsing, and I hope you will continue following my next episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The music in the introduction is from Edvard Grieg's Violin Sonata in G Major, Opus 13, with myself on violin and pianist Simon Trapczewski, released on BIS Records.